0: take it lightly. And he was not afraid to go to great lengths to convince them that their giving was not adequate and that they should be giving more. And uh, Paul didn't do it for selfish gain. He didn't do it for selfish motives. As we know, Paul was a guy who raised to support often, uh, although he also was supported by churches. Uh, But for him, it wasn't a selfish thing. It was a biblical thing. It was part of the call of what it means to be a believer. And so part of a biblical ministry of any church or any of us as we disciple, as we teach others about the Christian walk, we ought to, just as we talk about the Holy Spirit we talk about holiness and sanctification and evangelism and witnessing, we ought to be very clear about God's principles on giving. And so I'm just up here doing my job as a biblical preacher. That's all I'm doing, you know. I'm telling you to give more because it's what you're supposed to do to be, have a biblical ministry. That's what I'm doing. Uh, just doing my job uh, but let me say this also that I'm not, I'm not saying this because I necessarily want to see you give more here I mean certainly we'll spend it <laughs> if you give it we'll find ways to spend it um, we won't spend it on my salary uh, the church pays about half of, the, of my support I raise the other half uh, I'm not looking for a raise and if, they, if, the, if, if, they were, if you were to offer me a raise I would turn it down because it's not what I, what needs to happen. and I'm not asking it so I can live... God's provided abundantly for us, and uh, not that I don't need more money, but I don't need it from you, okay? <laughs> Put it that way. Um, God will provide. And so I'm not doing this because I want a pay raise or I have needs personally. Um, the church is doing ministry, and, and uh, I would love to see our giving double so that we could we could minister more. I would love to see us be able to do more in our work with the Lahu, helping those in need in Burma, and China, uh, and Thailand. Uh, many Lahu, uh, about 600,000 to a million, that we would love to impact. And, and it takes money to do that. And so certainly I would love to see our giving boosted so that we could do that. There, are, you know, I would love to start another children's home. We have two going. I'd love by December to start another one. Uh, I, I would hope to have 20, 50, I don't know. Uh, but, but that's not the main motive where we talk about this. We talk about it because God wants you to be a giver, and God may lead you to give totally other places. He may burden you to give in other uh, venues, other fields, other areas that have nothing to do with our church or our ministry or what we're doing with our foundation, and that's good, that's fine. What's important is that we understand God's heart for why giving is important, and that we are motivated to give properly, and that's what Paul was concerned about. And really, in the end, Paul was was concerned that these Corinthian believers take full possession of God's blessing in their own life. And Paul understood that part of that blessing was the joy of giving, um, and the joy of of really being blessed by blessing others financially. Um, There's another reason that Paul, and this is not necessarily my first motivation, but it is of Paul's, and it's an important one to consider. There's another reason why this was very important to Paul. And when you read through the the whole New Testament, this theme comes up in several places. And it's something that Paul, next to preaching the gospel, this offering was a big deal. And uh, you wonder, why was it such a big deal for Paul? He collected this offering from numerous churches, Gentile churches that he had planted in, in various parts of the Roman Empire to be sent or given to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, it was important because it's what every believer should do, but it also had importance for Paul for another reason. And that was that for Paul, it was a huge and critical sign or witness of the reality of the church that was being planted. See, Paul saw all these Gentiles churches being Form. Paul himself had fought a great battle to make Christianity not dependent on Judaism and to really take the whole Christian church outside of the realm of Judaism. And he fought very hard that being a Christian didn't require things like circumcision and following all the, the laws and procedures and rules of the Jewish faith. And uh, there were many in Jerusalem and many other places who saw this, this division and this separation with, with Judaism and were concerned about it. And for Paul, this was a very critical and important way of showing that the church was genuine and real because the church would take care of its own. It was a witness to the world that these Gentile believers had truly come under the full power of God's grace and their lives had been transformed and these Gentile believers were now giving generously to those in need in Jerusalem, especially the church in Jerusalem. And for Paul, it was an important demonstration of what God was doing in one church with one group of people as he touched their lives by his grace and as they took care of each other, as they met each other's needs, as they gave generously. It was for Paul a very powerful and important witness. And he was aware that the world, not just in in Jerusalem, but throughout the Roman Empire, was watching how the church treated each other, how they would take care of each other. Would they Uh, Was it just uh, teaching? Was it just doctrine? Or was it something they lived out in practical ways, in real-life ways in their life, through their generosity and support and loving concern for those in need? So for Paul, it was an important part of what evangelism was. And Paul was aware of the fact that if he went out and preached the gospel and said, look, this great gospel message is going to save your life from sin and give you this new life in Christ. But if on the other side of it was a church that was stingy and and greedy and selfish it would undermine everything that he taught and stood for and the same thing really is true for us today the world needs to see a church that is generous the world needs to see a church that has a heart for its own I read recently uh, some statistics studying for this message about um, giving trends of Christians and the truth is that the church gives far more money to other Christians than it does to reaching the totally unchurched and there's some people who criticize that and they say, you know, we Christians, we just give to each other, you know, and we, we really don't give as much to the unchurched. But, you know, I believe that there's some things in that that's biblical. God wants us to support our brothers and sisters who are in need, like in Burma or in other parts of the world where there are need, even here in Thailand. It's important for us as a church to be taking care of each other. But the reality is that we do give outside of the church, and we do give to those in need around the world. And that also is a powerful witness so we need to be, uh, as a church, as the church worldwide as well as our local fellowship, we need to have a, a reputation as a group of people who give generously both to help our brothers and sisters in Christ in need as well as a hurting, dying world that's in need. It's it's one of our most powerful testimonies of God's grace. How, how terrible it would be if we, living in this community as a group of people who are doing ministry or doing church planting who are involved in the uh, evangelistic effort in Asia, had a reputation as being stingy and cheap, okay? What would that say about the message we are teaching? Well, it wouldn't say very much, would it? It would, in, in essence, make it powerless and ineffective. We are here as leaders representing churches, denominations, organizations, and we are to lead by example. And one of the things that we need to be an example in, just as in holiness, just as in our knowledge of uh, the word and good theology and doctrine, we ought to be examples in generosity. And that's what Paul was challenging the Corinthians with. And that's why we want to look at it this morning. So let's look. uh, There's so much in this. I could just preach forever on this because it's rich. It's a lot of great truth, but we're not going to do that. I'm going to just pick out a few verses here and there out of these two chapters I encourage you to study it on your own. Uh, Let's look at why Paul says we should be giving. What should be the right heart and attitude of giving? First of all, he said that giving should be joyful. Giving should be something that we are really happy and excited about. You know, one of the most exciting, enthusiastic, the times when, like, we're shouting hallelujah is when we take the offering, right? So Paul's saying here. You don't believe me, I can just tell. Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Okay, chapter 8, verse 3. Well, let's start with verse 1 because it's good. Now, I, want you to, I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done, or in His grace, has done for the churches in Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, their wonderful joy and deep poverty have overflowed into rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but even more, and they did it of their own free will. Okay, Paul says, I, was not, I wasn't putting guilt trips on these people. I wasn't twisting their arm. They gave this gift, this generous gift, even though they were poor, willingly, of their own free will. In fact, he says, they begged us again and again for the gracious privilege of sharing in the gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. Okay, so these people, they were begging, Paul, please, we want to give. We want to be a part of this. Um, Over in chapter 9, verse 5, he says, So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure that the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Then down in verse 7, he says, You must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. What Paul was after here was a church that was, was eager in their giving. Uh, it wasn't just the, something they went through, the motions, the routine, you know. And we sing worship songs this morning. that was a great time of worship this morning, wonderful. And if we're just sitting there just kind of mouthing the words and our heart's not in it, it doesn't count for much. The same is true with our giving. If we're just going through the motions of dropping the money in the play because we know it's what we're supposed to do, it's our duty, it's our obligation, and our heart's not in it, and we don't do it eagerly and with joy, it loses its worship value. Now the good news is it spends the same on the other end. So, you know, it's okay on that part. But it's not worship on your end. It doesn't count for as much on your end as the giver. And we discount the benefits of the gift in our own life. Paul says we ought to give joyfully or cheerfully. The word there is actually the word hilaron. It's the word we get hilarious from. We should give with hilarity. Okay, so maybe we should laugh as we take the offering. I don't know. Maybe if some people saw how much you give, they would laugh. I don't know. I don't think that's what it means. Uh, it means there should be joy in it. And like all the parts of our worship, it should flow out of a heart that is excited about what God is doing, excited about God's grace. Excited about God's goodness, and we give joyfully in response to God's work in our life. Uh, it needs to be from the heart, not from guilt or duty. Uh, you know, a lot of us grew up and have grown up in churches, been in churches, been in places where giving was really um, motivated largely by guilt. In fact, you may have come from a church where everything was motivated by guilt. It kind of goes together. Uh, We guilt you into teaching Sunday school. We guilt you into coming to church five times a week. We guilt you into giving. You know, some people operate church that way. And uh, that's not grace. That's not what God calls us to. He says it should be joyful, done joyfully. Uh, When you live under guilt or duty, you're worried about how much to give. Oftentimes it breaks down into percentages. And, you know, we kind of do the whole accountant thing. And it's it's good. I love accountants because I can't actually do that. So I'm very thankful for those who can. But, but our giving should be from our heart, not just from our checkbook and not just percentages. Um, you know, a lot of people, we, you know, when we talk about giving, we talk about a tithe. You think about a tithe is how much percent? Ten percent, that's right, ten percent. comes from the Old Testament. Um, you know, really, if you follow the Old Testament, if you really follow the Old Testament, in the Old Testament they gave a tithe, but they gave other gifts as well. And scholars who know this a lot better than I do tell, us, tell me that it actually would total, if we would follow Old Testament giving, it would total about 25%. Okay, so does anybody want to be Old Testament about this? No, well, not really. Okay, let's go back. And what Paul thought, it's, it's amazing, Paul never talks about a percentage or amount, a tithe. He never uses the word tithe. Paul says you should give willingly and generously from your heart. That's where true giving should start. Giving must come from the heart. Um, think of it this way. You know, it is fun to give. Like Christmas time, I've learned, when I was a little kid, I thought Christmas was all about getting. And it was probably because I really had, at that time, I had nothing to give. And uh, I had lots to gain. And so I was very excited about getting things for Christmas. And I would, wa- I would be awake Christmas Eve night, excited about what I was going to get. But later, as I became an adult, I started to learn the real joy of giving. And... Uh, one of the people I love to give to is my lovely wife, Denise. I love to give her gifts. And uh, I, I learned that there were appropriate gifts and inappropriate gifts. And very early on, I learned, on, I learned that plug-in appliances are a bad gift, okay? especially things like vacuums, cleaning utensils, bad idea. And I didn't know. I was 22 years old. Nobody told me this stuff. And I thought I was just giving her this wonderful gift. Well, I learned later that plug-in appliances, no. But like sparkly, shiny things, yes. And uh, I remember numerous times, Christmases, just being so excited, buying her jewelry or whatever, and being so excited that I was going to be able to give. And you know, I didn't calculate in my heart, okay, what would be a fitting percentage to give to my wife for Christmas? Let's see, I make this much money, I think 2% is pretty good. You know, dear, I want you to know this costs 2% of my income. Because that's not giving from the heart, is it? I didn't go to the store because I had a budget, you know. I, 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 uh, I, there were limits, okay, very serious limits. But I didn't go uh, worried about that. I was eager to give. Well, shouldn't our giving to God and His work be the same way? You know, if it comes down to us calculating it out by our accounting, and, and, and worried about percentages, chances are, are very good that our heart is not in it. Now, the flip side, we can measure. Oftentimes, our heart by percentages. You know, if uh, if Denise says, "Yeah, you know, it's really cool. You got me this bracelet that cost all of two dollars and fifty cents. You know, that you got out of a cracker jack box. um, Thanks." You know, there there is something about the substance of our gift, not by necessarily its price tag, but but it can be weighed. You know, a gift that costs us something is an expression of a gift that came from deep within the heart. And it's true that the more it costs, the more we may have sacrificed, the more it is an expression of how much it means in our heart. But it must start with our heart, not just with a a statistic or a percentage or a dollar amount. And the amazing thing in this passage is that Paul says what God is looking at is not a percentage. He's not looking at dollar amounts. God is not impressed if you're wealthy and you can lay down a huge stack of bills. What God is looking at is the eagerness of our heart. He is looking at a heart that is generous in its attitude, a heart that is generous, that longs to give, and that's the Macedonians. The Macedonians were dirt poor. Chances are they really didn't actually give all that much. But they were a great example in what they gave because it came from a heart that was longing to give more. They gave everything they could. They gave more than they could give, and they longed to give even more than that. That's the heart that God is looking for. A heart that says, "Man, I, you know, I'm giving this much. It's actually more than I can afford to give, but I wish I could give even so much more than that, because I am eager, because I'm such a generous person. I'm eager to give, and it comes from my heart." Uh, secondly, <coughs> really, giving begins with giving not just our money, but it begins with giving ourselves. Paul says this. He says they begged us again and again for this gracious gift of sharing. Um, but best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes where their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord and to us according to God's will, according to what God would, would, would have them give. Um, Paul says that, that, that they didn't just give money, but first and foremost, they gave themselves to God. And then he says they gave themselves to Paul and to Paul's ministry and to Paul's vision for what he wanted to do with this gift. Um, what is money? When we give money, when we give our tithe, when we give our offering, what really are we giving? Well, we're not giving anything unless we've given ourselves first. God is never interested in a gift of money from a heart that he does not possess. What God wants us first to give is of ourselves to him. And then as we have given of ourselves to him, as we're moved by grace, we give generously of our resources as well. Uh, that's why in churches, we, you know, we don't encourage unbelievers or visitors or guests, people who don't follow Christ. We don't, we don't con money out of them. And in fact, we would encourage, if you're here and you're not a believer, don't give, because God is not concerned about your money. He's concerned about your heart. That's the starting place. But beyond that, what is money? Um, <clears throat> you know, Back in the old days, it worked like this. If I was a corn farmer, I would grow my corn, and at harvest time, I would take my corn to the, the shop and I would take it to the guy who made metal pots because I have all this basket of corn but I can't cook it. So i take my corn to the pot maker and I'd say, I need a steel pot and he would say, okay, oh, you give me your bushel of corn and I'll give you a steel pot. So we give him the basket of corn and he gives me a pot and now I can cook my corn in his pot and he has something to actually cook in his pot because now he's got corn, right? Uh, there are drawbacks to that system, however. You know, imagine if today after our service, you're hungry, you go to Sizzler to eat, and at the end they give you a bill that says, okay, you have to go back and wash dishes for one hour and 15 minutes. Uh, Well, it would be kind of a drag. It's like, well, if I wanted to do that, I'd just gone home. I wouldn't need to go to Sizzler. Uh, uh, You know, our money is a symbol, and it represents us. It represents our time, our energy, our resources, our labor, our wisdom, that we have applied diligently, and we've received this token of our time. And we can now spend that token in substitution of the labor of growing corn or making pots or whatever it is we do. When we give money, we really are just giving a piece of ourselves. And it should be given with that heart and that spirit. It should be saying, you know, God, uh, this is a piece of me. I have labored for this. And while I give you my whole heart and life, in my tithe and in my offering, I'm able to give tangibly this piece of me. And it represents your time. It represents your energy, your resources, your hard work. And we give it. In fact, uh, Paul is able to say to them, uh, specifically about the Macedonians, he says this. He says, They begged us again and again for this gracious privilege of sharing in the gift to the Christians in Jerusalem. Um, It's a terrible translation, actually because there's a couple of key words they just kind of float right over. Um, And let me me talk about those. Um, The first word that's not translated in the New Living anyway is the word grace. In fact, let me give you my translation of that verse. It would be, they begged us with great urging that we would allow them to join us in our ministry to the saints as agents of God's grace and as those joining together in real fellowship with them. Three words in that passage I want to highlight. The first is the word grace. As we said last week, grace is often the word that's used for a gift or giving. Instead of saying we're going to take the offering, we're going to say, we could say, we're going to all grace God. We're going to all bless God with grace. We're going to graciously give our gifts. Um, it's interesting that the Macedonians said they were eager, they were begging, not just to give money, but they were begging to become agents of God's grace. What a great picture. They said, you know, we have been so moved by God's grace in our life, and we want that grace to flow through us to those in need in Jerusalem. And even though we're hungry, we're starving, we're struggling along, we want to be a channel of grace to those who are struggling like us. When we give our gift, you are being an avenue of grace to people in need. And as we give to those in need, we give to orphans and widows and those being oppressed and those who are without the gospel. We are a real channel of God's grace to those people. So that's the first thing, is they said, we want to be a part of this, this, this avenue, this channel of grace. Secondly, the second word that's in that passage is the word koinonia, the word fellowship. And so we want to be agents of grace, but we also want to be in fellowship with them. And the word can be translated a couple of ways. One would be to share together something, which is the idea of fellowship, to share together. And perhaps the Macedonians, because of their own poverty, because of their own difficulty, they said, you know, we have a special share in their suffering. We know what it's like to be hungry and to struggle, and we want to partner with them. We want to fellowship with them as these, these needy brothers in Jerusalem struggle. And so by our gift, by our giving, by really... In a sense, impoverishing ourselves a little more, we want to share in their struggle. We want to become fellow partners in their struggle. Uh, certainly, the idea also is there of being partners in ministry, being fellowship in, in Paul's burden and in Paul's vision for this ministry of, of this witness of the church as it pours out its gifts of, of love. Uh, the third word that's used in this passage is the word ministry. Um, Paul says that the Macedonians, they wanted to be avenues of grace. They wanted to be partners together with the people in Jerusalem as well as Paul. And they wanted to do this as ministry. Uh, Giving is ministry. And this is the exciting thing. When we give, uh, you know, if you give money, you are ministering to those who receive it. Uh, A lot of times we think ministry is like this. Preachers do ministry You think, you know, missionaries, evangelists do ministry, people who disciple somebody do ministry, and that's true, that is all ministry. But did you know that if you give money so that somebody can buy food, that is equally, in God's sight, ministry. If you give money to put a Bible in the hand of a believer in a foreign country, or books so that somebody can disciple that believer, you are partnering in ministry to that person. Uh, For those of us that are in the business of of raising support and raising um, resources to fund ministry, it is very important that you let people know that they are serious and substantial partners with you in ministry. It's not like this. It's not like they give money and you do the ministry. Their giving is ministry. Their giving is directly blessing with God's grace and goodness uh, the resources that make it possible for you to be uh, doing God's work in ministry, bringing His word. Here, here's, here's a thought. Uh, the great commission is that we are to, to preach the gospel, make disciples go, make disciples uh, baptize. We're supposed to do this in, in Jerusalem, Judea, into the uttermost parts of the earth. How do we do that? Most of us think of it this way. Well I'm doing, I, I'm doing it in my utter, uttermost part of the earth. and I can't be in every place all at once. I can't be in lots of other places. So, I'm not going to worry about it. I know somebody somewhere is doing that uttermost part of the earth thing. So, I'll just worry about my little corner of the world. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, You all, as disciples, are to be doing ministry both locally, uh, at a wider scale, your Judea, your Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It is a duty and a job and a responsibility of every believer. So what are you doing to reach your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria? What are you doing to reach all the countries of the globe? Jesus expects all of you to be doing ministry on multiple continents. Okay, now some of you I know are doing that because of air travel because a few of you who are doing ministry on multiple con- continents, let's give them a hand. Okay, but what about the rest of you? You know, you're dropping the ball here. I want you to know that uh, I have done ministry, I'm going to brag, I've done ministry in Guatemala, Costa Rica, Bolivia, India, Sri Lanka, Nepal. You know, a lot of those countries I've never even been to. But I've done ministry in those countries. You know how? Because I gave. Because I supported ministry in those countries. Okay, we can be global in ministry by giving. Uh, And, you know, maybe that's a goal. I don't know. You know, we've got to give as God leads, so maybe God would say, you know, you should be giving at least something to every continent, or places where certainly God has burdened you. Isn't that cool? We can share ministry to the uttermost parts of the world as we joyfully support through giving. Um, How do we measure that? Paul says we give joyfully, we give from our heart, um, he says ultimately that this giving is a is a measuring stick of our heart. He says in verse verse 11 now, you should carry this project. He's talking to the Corinthians, this project of taking this offering. You should carry it through to completion just as enthusiastically as you began it. Give whatever you can according to what you have. If you are really eager to give, it isn't important how much you are it isn't important how much you are able to give. Give what God, um, God wants you to give. Um, you give what you have, what you don't have. Uh, that's the heart of it. Uh, he loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we give generously from our heart. And then he says this. How do we measure all that? How do we measure if we're being generous? Well, he says this in verse 7 and 8. Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, you have such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and love for us, I want you to also excel in this gracious ministry of giving. I am not saying this as a command, as something you must do, uh, even though other churches are eager to do it, but this is one way to prove that your love is real. This is one way to prove that your love is genuine. You know one of the criticisms that Paul had in 1 Corinthians was that the Corinthians were very proud of what they had. They thought they had great theology, they thought they were super smart about the Bible. They thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and they had all these spectacular gifts. But Paul recognized a lot of immaturity in the Corinthian church. Paul kind of repeats that theme again here. He says, "Yeah, I know you have got great theology, you're so smart, you're filled with knowledge. You're just such loving people towards me." which if you know much about uh, the relationship Paul had with the Corinthians was a bit maybe sarcastic. Um, he says, okay, now prove all that and let's see it by the measure of your generosity. Now the reality is we can have great theology, we can have great knowledge of the scripture, we can be super smart people, but what counts is not what we know, it's what we live. And Paul says a good measure of what we are living is our giving. He said what we give is a test of the love, the genuineness of the love in our heart. And see, that's what God's concerned about. Are we people who genuinely live out his love all around us? Paul says one way to measure that is by your heart of giving. And that's why for Paul this was so important that the world see demonstrated the heart of the church giving generously to those in need. He says it is a measure Of your heart. Uh, Paul is basically saying, you know, you talk a lot, but you know, put your money where your mouth is. Let's see it. Let's see if you can come through as big as you talk. Uh, It is a sign of the genuineness of our heart. Um, That's the attitude of giving. Paul then gives one other example and he used the example of the Macedonians but he gives one final example of the ultimate gift of giving and that's in verse 6 of chapter 8 he says this actually it's not in verse 6 okay verse 9 the 6 upside down there we go He says, you know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though he was very rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You know, the ultimate example, the ultimate reason that we give, the number one uh, person we should follow as the model of giving is, of course, God himself and specifically Jesus Christ. He says, uh, you know, look at the abundant, overflowing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ toward you, who, though he being abundantly rich, became poor, so that by, your, by his poverty, you might become rich. Uh, I want to close with just a couple thoughts about, about the richness of God and his poverty. And there's a problem here, and that is this. how does, How is it God can be poor? Okay, you ever think about this? How can God make himself poor? How, how can, and here's a, another question, really, kind of the flip side of that. How can God be generous? Now, for me, generosity would involve, most of the time, some kind of sacrifice. I mean, if I see some brother who's struggling along and needs money, and I take... 5,000 baht, and I give them that 5,000 baht, you know, it it means that that's 5,000 baht I don't have. And, you know, I don't have a lot. Probably like most of you, you know, the money always runs out a week or two before the month, right? And you kind of live those last week, last two weeks maybe, you know, on, like, I don't know, prayer, (laughs) right? And so when you give that money away, it's a bit of a sacrifice. Well, you know, God... Is infinitely wealthy so you know for God to give it doesn't really cost him anything Uh, if and and that's one of the things we got to come to grips with in our own ministry in our own lives we think that somehow we're going to run God broke or something like God's going to run out of money and the reason we don't have money is because God somehow doesn't have it you know God has infinite wealth and if he wanted he could say to Doi Soutet mountain out there I'm going to turn Doisotep into a mountain of coins. And he could just turn that whole thing into a big mountain of gold coins and say, here, here, just go take buckets full. He could do that. Well, why doesn't he? Well, because it would wreck you, okay? That's the main reason. It's because it would ruin He says every good gift comes from above. He's decided buckets full of gold for most of us would not be a good thing. It would just ruin our lives. So he said, I'll give it to you in much smaller doses, and that way you have to trust me. That's a good thing. And so he has, this, he has infinite wealth at his disposable, disposable, disposal, and he wants to give it to you, and he will all in the right time. And uh, he's guaranteed that. He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of your needs. He's going to bless and provide for your ministry. Uh, so don't get excited if you know, the paycheck seems a bit short. God's got it under control. He just wants you to trust him, and in time he'll give. But it doesn't cost him anything. He can speak it into existence you need food you know the Israelites however what 1.4 million of them wandering out in the desert there's no food there's no potatoes there's no onions there's no cows it's a desert God says not a problem I will speak bread into existence for you and presto every morning they went out and there was bread just laying on the ground what a deal God can get but it didn't cost God anything God didn't have to go to his bank account didn't have to go to the ATM machine and draw out money to pay for bread to feed 1.4 million people every day in the desert. So what does it mean for God to be generous? What does it mean, God, to give himself into poverty? What's well, kind of a problem for a guy who's got everything. You know, even Bill Gates, if he was really, truly generous and, like, you know, bailed out, you know, several countries' national debt, he would run out of money eventually. God would never run out. So what does it mean for God to be generous to you? What does it mean for God to give? It says Jesus became poor. How did Jesus become poor? Jesus needs nothing. Okay, not only does he have infinite resources of wealth, but think about this. God never needs anything. He is the ultimate source of all things. He is the abundant wellspring of all things. Jesus was the, is the wellspring of life. Life itself flows out of him. He never needs anything. Uh, when Jesus came to earth, he came in the form of a man it 's true, and a lot of people think what paul 's talking about here is you know he was human and uh, he had to you know he was poor he was a carpenter, he was on welfare you know all these ladies were feeding him all the time he's kind of homeless but i don 't think that 's the poverty that he was talking about because that 's what every human being experiences and and re- really Jesus, if he ever needed, could have turned the stones to bread he was not needy like we are. He possesses all things. So what does it mean for God to become poor? Well, the deal is this. What is the wages? What is the penalty? What is the cost of sin? The wages of sin is death. Death. Uh, That is a penalty. That is a wage, a cost, that cannot be paid materially. You know, it's not a matter of us saying, God, you know, maybe, you know, Bill Gates would be a good candidate for this. God, you know, I know, I've sinned. Here's $60 billion. This should cover it. Okay, if money could pay for sin, being rich would be a good thing and Bill Gates would be a very righteous man. But he can't. God is not interested in a material payback, money, possessions, things. He says, I am sick and tired of your blood, of your bulls and your rams and goats. I don't need them. I don't need the cattle you offer. I don't need it. Don't offer me these sacrifices. They can't atone for your sin. What can atone for sin? Well, the penalty of our own sin is our own life. Is our own life given eternally in judgment under God's wrath. That's a pretty expensive price. And there is nothing we can do to buy our way out of it. If we were to give all of our possessions, everything we owned... It would not interest God. What he wants is a life that's given to him. What could God give that would cost him something? Well, there's only one thing in all of heaven that would cost him something, and that was his son, Jesus. And that's what he gave. Did it cost him something for our salvation? It cost him dearly. God knows what it means to be generous not because it cost him anything financially, but because it cost him of his very self. And I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But somehow in the very depth of the riches of his being, he gave of himself to make us rich in his righteousness. Why should we give? Because God is a God who gives. God is a God who is so rich in love and so abundant in mercy that he gave himself for us. And Paul says here, that is the ultimate example of giving. It did cost God something. And you know, sometimes we think because God is God, purchasing our salvation was easy or cheap. Believe me, it was anything but that. It was infinitely expensive. You know, we could say that Uh, while we're picking on Bill Gates, that he's a very wealthy man, but for him to become poor would cost a great deal more than for me to become poor. I'm like about six inches away from poverty all the time, and it wouldn't be hard. I don't even have to try. He would have much more to lose. It would cost him much more because of his wealth to impoverish himself. How much did it cost an infinite God To become poor? I don't know. And I can't really explain it. But he did that to purchase our salvation. Uh, Should we be generous people? If God, who has the wealth of the world at our disposal, how much can we afford to give? Well, Paul puts it this way in chapter 9 He says, Here's how much you can afford to give. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. You know, you give cheap, you get cheap. You know, if you're stingy, you get stingy. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind. Actually, that's another bad translation. Literally, it says you must must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. And, and, here's an important and, and God will always, will always generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, godly people give generously to the poor. Their deeds will not be forgotten by God. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good by giving, and he will produce in you a great harvest of generosity. It's awesome. How much can you afford to give? Well, God is the limit. God is the limit. So don't be, you know, God says don't give yourself into poverty. But, but you can give probably a lot more than you think you can. Because as you give, God promises he will supply abundantly to meet your needs, not to make you wealthy. Okay, giving is not a way to get, you know, a brand new car. I tried that once. It doesn't work. Um, it just made me poorer, uh, And I gave for the wrong reason. So it made me poor with no credit to my account for God. But if we give out of a generous heart that loves to give, God will promises he will provide every need plus enough left over to be even more generous. So it's this, great, it's this great vicious cycle. I try to give a little more. God gives a lot more back. I give even more. God gives even more back. How far could this go? I don't know. Let's try it. Let's see how far it can go. Uh, I'm thankful that I learned this lesson when I was very young. I was 17 years old. I went to kind of a crazy church that was a bit on the legalistic side. Uh, but one of the things they did right is they did this faith-giving campaign. They had the whole little cards and everything. And the more I think about it, the more I realize how biblical this was. So they said, you, know, you need to go before God, and you need to trust God to give you how much he's calling you to give. And you need to put down that amount, whether you can pay for it or not, and say, God, I'm pledging, I'm promising, I'm trusting that you will supply for me to give this amount and then they made it sound really good. This, you know, They really got, me, got us fired up. They probably threw in some good doses of guilt along the way, I'm sure. And I decided, you know, my allowance back then was eight U.S. dollars, okay, which then was probably a lot more than it is now. I decided, I felt God move in my heart. I felt God speak clearly to me that I was supposed to give $10 a month, which is $2 more than I actually made. And uh, I thought, what the heck? I've got nothing to lose. It's easy when you're in high school. You know, you guys don't know how easy you got it, because... Mom feeds you even if you give away all your money. Um, it's great. So I thought, I got nothing to lose. I'm putting down 10 dollars. And you know, it's amazing. God was faithful to provide that, and abundantly more. Uh, God just blessed me, and I saw, you know, it's true. when you trust God to give, God is abundant as a giver. If he could impoverish himself that much to give us Jesus. How generous is his heart toward us for everyday stuff? We can count on him to be faithful if we will trust him and his goodness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just stand in awe uh, of your generosity. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to have a deeper and more powerful vision of how much your love cost you. That you are a God who is infinitely generous. And when you talk about the abundance of your unfailing love, it is not a cheap gift. It is not just um, fluff. It is substantial. It is costly. And we so often take it for granted and we treat your love as if it's a trinket. Lord God, forgive us for taking so lightly what has cost you so much. Lord God, may we truly be moved to worship you by giving our lives in return for the incredible gift you have given us. Uh, Lord, help us to see it more deeply. And may that love transform us into beings who are generous, who are likewise abundant in our love for others, in the generosity of our heart towards others, a generosity that is evident and visible uh, in our pocketbook, uh, in our gifts of giving, and in, in the substantial and weighty gifts we give to help the needy and the poor, and to see your work and your word carried around the world. Lord, thank you for enabling us and giving us the privilege of being partners with you in ministry as we give of ourselves and our, and our resources to bless your name. Lord, may each of us be uh, prayerful in our heart and even now to just seek, Lord, how much would you have us give today, this month, this week, out of the abundant resources you've given us? What are you calling us to give? may we be led by your Spirit. And may we have faith to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.